back to phly sixers post game show derek bonner joined by kyle newbeck here how you doing kyle in season tournament win baby got kyle over here <laughs> looking up tiebreakers for in season tournaments looking up the I'm Pacers invested. schedule i want to go to vegas i'm invested <laughs> See, i want to know when indiana's playing we haven't even made the pitch we don't even know if we would go to vegas but you're right in order to go they would actually have to we got to keep the hope alive derek that's <laughs> yes. what really what matters is if Derek and I get to go to Las Vegas. Okay. Literally nothing else I will matters. admit, if I, if, if I care about the in-season tournament at all, that is the reason why. That's a very valid reason. I'm just uh, got to see what happens with the Pacers first. Anyway. A pretty- <laughs> Not anyway. That's the subject of this show. Keep the dream alive. If we root for anything... We root for our damn selves. The actual subject of the show is that the Sixers won 126-116 to 116 in Atlanta over the Hawks, getting back, snapping their two-game losing streak, improving to 2-1 and one here in the in-season tournament, as Kyle is very focused on. And I think a lot to really cover here. Uh, there was, I think, a one of Embiid's best floor games of the season. Ended up with eight assists, could have had a couple more, was really operating well as the hub of the offense. You had, I think, a good performance from Covington. You had 29 on very efficient 12 of 20 shooting from Tobias. I think you had some pretty good Jade Springer minutes. You had D'Anthony, or, uh, Daniel House. Oh, let there be light in here, Derek. We he got had, an extra light going on in the studio. You had Daniel House inexplicably take over the game there in the fourth quarter when the, when Nick Nurse had both Embiid and Maxi on the bench, which almost never happens this year. I didn't know how they were going to survive. And then all of a sudden, D House is doing everything. Where would you like to start off here tonight? In Las Vegas, preferably. <laughs> <laughs> no, so let's start with Joel because... You've never been to a summer league, right? No, I mean, I've been to Vegas several right. times, but I never... Including not like not too long ago. Yeah, in yeah. August when literally nobody goes to Vegas because it's ungodly hot. The only people there, who go to Vegas in there, July is... I went there... Well, I went in August two years ago because they had the, the COVID season when it was pushed back a month. Yeah. So I was there in... Uh, in August. Yeah, so Neil, fun. by the way, the, this is where I was going, pointed out in the chat, thanks to Kyle for trashing Embiid. He played slightly better tonight. I feel like trashing is a little uncharitable to what I said, but look, Joel Embiid is a really good basketball player, and because of that, I hold him to a high standard. So there are times, including on Tuesday against Indiana, he had 39 points and you know big box score line where I didn't think he was good enough. He had a more efficient fewer turnover type game against Boston. Didn't think he was good enough. I thought he was the biggest driver of that win. I thought he was excellent in the opening quarter. I thought he played with a level of urgency to start the game that warranted the the stakes of the in-season tournament. Obviously, I know Joe was thinking about how much he wants to go to Las Vegas because, Derek, you know he's Mr. Party Guy. I'm joking for anyone who's not aware of Joel's off-court habits. But I thought Joe played with a lot of purpose. I thought he got – the offense got messed up a little bit in the second quarter, maybe yeah. started the third. Atlanta was playing some zone, forced him into a lot of mid-ranges. But 
I thought his reads were really good throughout that game. I thought tried to post some guys, well, mostly Clint Capella up and was good at abandoning the post up when it wasn't there. Or he was feeling a double and spraying the ball to the other side of the floor, finding a guy cutting along the baseline. And frankly, he just took what the defense was giving him for most of the night. And I think that is the version of Embiid that they need to see in the playoffs. It's not a guy who's going to put up 50 point games. It's someone who can get an efficient 30 and read the floor well enough that everybody else is being lifted up by his play. I agree. My counter to that is there aren't going to be very many defenses like the Atlanta. Well, Hawks yeah, that's playoffs. true. So it gets a little bit tougher when you're going. Hey, you say Boston. that this is a conference finalist Atlanta Hawks <laughs> franchise. I was going to say buddy. we had that same uh, you know sentiment a couple of years ago, and it didn't really work out. That being said, your point guard now is a little more willing to take a shot than the one back then. Look, Atlanta fell asleep. It seemed like every uh, baseline cut was wide open. Yeah. Dejounte Murray for a guy who has a really good. Uh, defensive reputation. He was falling asleep constantly. It seemed like Jaden Springer. It was a real classic. Nice. Like people only pay attention to on, on ball, ball stuff yeah. with Murray, right? Yep. No, I've never been as big on him as, as some people are. Uh, Springer, I thought took real advantage of that. It was nice to see Springer get in the, in the game, get a little action uh, and contribute the way he did. But you're right. My biggest takeaway, it wasn't that Joel Embiid finished 10 for 19 from the field that he got from the, got to the free throw line 11 times. My biggest takeaway was that he was seeing the floor in a way that you need him to see and pro see the floor and process the game at a high level that you now want to see him do when the competition ramps up, when the stakes ramp up in the playoffs. But this is, I agree with you. This is the blueprint. Again, that blueprint gets tougher to execute in May and June. But this is what you want to see, uh, including then supporting performances from Harris, from Maxi at times. It wasn't necessarily Maxi's most dominant game, but he had stretches where he was playing really well uh, from a whole bunch of role players, including Daniel. I mean, that, we'll get to that Daniel House quarter. That yeah, we're going to have a whole segment on D House, man. <laughs> but I think when, when Embiid is, is seeing a game like that, when people are, are moving off ball, when you're making your threes, six your shot real well from three, it allows Embiid to play a style. And here's what I'll say. I think when Embiid talked all preseason about, man, I just never had a coach who asked me to pass before. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said things to that effect. Essentially that. We yeah. sort of rolled our eyes a little bit. I think Embiid, Embiid right now is embracing that to a degree that I wasn't sure he would. Yeah. So I don't want to go too far down the rotation hole right now, but I do think this game also shows, and Kelly Oubre's success playing off of Joel has shown, if you just put athletes around this guy, he's going to be able to find guys on cuts right. around the basket. And as long as you have players that are capable of finishing in that spot, you're going to get some easy offense out of that. Like Jaden Springer tonight. I thought Jaden was up and down, committed some silly fouls that also made some great energy plays. But toward the end of that game, he's able to play deep into the fourth quarter and in a spot where against Toronto, same sort of deal, Toronto's trying to send a double at Joel. Jaden Springer just sneaks in along the baseline. Joel finds him, and that's an easy layup opportunity, easy dunk opportunity. And those last season were going to P.J. Tucker. And those even last game or in the first half before Marcus Morris got hurt and gets bounced out of the rotation, those might go to Marcus Morris. Like, that's who ends up in that spot. And so I think... Nurse is seeing all the same things we do, right? And so I'm sure he sees a thing like that. And it's like, that's going in the notebook. It's in the back of my mind for later. And certainly in Daryl Morey's mind for 
how do you fill in this team around Joel? What sort of players do you want to put on the floor around him? Well, it seems pretty clear. If you just get guys who can run and jump next to this guy, <laughs> he's going to make them look yeah. better or he's capable of making them look better. I mean, D house, another great example. I don't want to smoke that segment just yet, but another guy who played well off of Joel last night. So I think that maybe the problem for a long time has been he has not had the proper type of players around him to maximize what he can do as a passer and the attention that he does draw as a post-up, face-up type player. Yeah, and and probably they didn't have the coach that was going to be that aggressive That's running off ball true. as well. And I think you're right. I think a lot of things have come together and it probably just wasn't capable earlier in his career of making these same reads. I think he's grown enough. I think the roster has changed. I think he's got the right coach. And again, there's somebody in the chat, I forget who, uh, you know, basically I'm not going to buy into this until he does it against Al Horford. Uh, and I apologize for not calling you out. It was up a little bit. I don't remember exactly who said it. I'm horrible at this, still learning. But, I, you know, I think... Yeah, read, that whole reading thing is, is tough, I know. I bookmarked it and then I forgot the name. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I agree. There's some sen- that, that sentiment of let me see this against a good team, against a good defense, against a team that gives him uh, you know, fits, against a team that has seven games to prepare for him. I get that. But I do think the environment he is in right now is more conducive to having success in that style of play. And he's also further along in his career in making those reads. And right now he's embracing it. If you're saying, I don't believe it until it happens in the playoffs, I get that. We've all watched the last you know seven years. But I am liking what I'm seeing. And right now all you can do is like what you see or at least have, have opinions on what you see. And so far, I think the early returns are good. I mean, look, you don't have to convince Derek and I to be skeptics. I think the two of no, us are yeah. a lot more cynical in, you know, there's good to that. There's bad to that. Certainly about this team, you know, I think the best example of that this season was what we thought about Kelly Oubre coming in relative to some of the people who watch and listen to the show regularly. And you and I have said straight up on the podcast, he's been way better than we expected. We're happy to admit that we were wrong. So if you're a person who says, I want to see it in the playoffs, I want to see it against the Milwaukee's, the Boston's, the contending. Well, not like Milwaukee's a good defense right now. Maybe Milwaukee's (laughs) a bad example right now. But the Boston's of the world, I will say, they did just beat Boston a week ago. So I don't want to overstate. I didn't like Joel's performance against Al and the Celtics this week. I thought he and the team thoroughly outclassed Boston a week ago, and that shouldn't get lost as we move on to the next game and the next opportunity to have a take. So Derek and I are largely on the same page here that, yes, he's going to have to prove it in games that matter, but ultimately they're in a spot where a game like this is easier to replicate on a night-to-night basis regardless of who the opponent is. It was Ridge Live who had the... uh... Al Horford okay. comment. Want to go back it. up there? Fine to give him his proper hey, shout there out. There you go. See, we're learning. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if if I, I mean it really is like you mentioned. It seemed like early on, um, he was getting a little bit into uh, trying to force the post up a little bit, but the way he settled in there, uh, the way he operated at the top of the key, it was it was real encouraging to see. What thoughts did you have there on Tobias? Uh, like I said, he had 29 points on 12 for 20 shooting, 10 rebounds, three assists, probably being overlooked a little bit, in part because Embiid was so good as a passer and in part because there's just some players that we don't normally talk about that we're going to want to talk about, spe- specifically in terms of House and Springer. But uh, what did you make out of Tobias's game? I'll be honest, the first two quarters, I was kind of like, 
This is kind of why I don't like Tobias as a building block type player because he was, I think he was like five for 11 at halftime, but so many of those shots were on tough mid rangers Mm -hmm. and just the, the shot diet that I think has to change regardless of how well he's performing and scoring right now. And I was most of the way through writing like, look, the team's lack of outside shooting volume is really attributable to him. Like he's one of the bigger, he's one of the bigger problems that they have in that regard. And then he comes out in the third quarter and he's firing away. I thought there was a stretch there where it looked like the Hawks were going to take over this game and the in-season tournament dream was about to die right in front of us, Derek. And we'd never end up at the Venetian playing craps on a... (laughs) A Friday night, but uh, Joel was getting doubled and made some good reads out of double teams. Ball swings to Tobias, it, either directly or indirectly off of Joel's passes, and he let it go. He makes some shots. He builds some confidence, and the most important stretch of the game for Tobias comes early in the fourth quarter. Joel and Tyrese have played the entire third. Nick wanted to roll with Tyrese, had something going. They were able to pad out a lead there. And you and I are sitting here in studio, Derek, and we're like, what the hell are they going to do to open the fourth quarter? First possession on offense, a little bit of a breakdown. Tobias backs a guy down in the mid post, N1 makes it, and it's felt like it kind of settled the nerves a little bit. They settled in as a group, and I, I think just an awesome second half from him that really allowed them to pull away in that game. Why, why are you apologizing to people in the comments? I got are his you... name wrong. I got his name wrong. <laughs> I it's RJ is live. My, my apologies. My apologies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, point being that is really a tale of two halves for me. It wasn't that he was bad in the first half. It's that it was frustrating yeah. how he was playing because it's frustrating that he doesn't shoot more threes. And then he did the thing that I like, and You're he right. made all his shots, yeah. and you know, all's well that ends well. No, he when when he starts firing away from deep, when he's you know sort of like honestly, he had a couple of good cuts tonight himself. When he's getting out in transition, getting early offense, that is the best version of Pius. I feel like we got a lot of that here in a in in the second half, and he was you know he really has been pretty consistent here all season. Outside of one or two games, this has been the best version of Tobias Harris that we have seen. The one real real drawback has been that he's not shooting threes. Uh, and they did come in, what were they, 28th or so in three-point attempt rate? Something real low in the league. We've talked about that a lot here, whether or not that is or is not a problem. The offense has still been clicking for the most part, but you would love to see that get up. Part of that is the fact that they just have nobody else who can really create a shot outside of Tyrese and Embiid. Uh, and the other part is that you have players like Tobias, who's a very high usage player who doesn't really want to launch very many threes. Tonight was a good sign in that regard. I want to get on a Tobias type topic okay. in a little right after we talk about our wonderful friends. First, we have this isn't a new sponsor anymore. Now there are old friends, Pennsylvania Dairy Farmers and Team Chocolate Milk. Professional and college athletes have known about the power of chocolate milk as a refuel and recovery beverage for a long time. And if you don't believe it, I'm pretty sure on the PHLY YouTube or perhaps our Instagram, there is a video where people talk about how much chocolate milk that they drink after they work out. So don't just take my word for it. The people have spoken in the streets of Philadelphia. But chocolate milk provides high-quality protein for muscle repair, electrolytes for hydration, 
and calcium for strong bones. And that's why studies consistently show chocolate milk is an ideal sports recovery beverage. So whether you're recovering after a workout at the gym, a run around Boathouse Row, or a bike ride on the Schuylkill Trail, chocolate milk is an ideal post-workout beverage. Taking care of your body doesn't end when the clock hits zero in your workout routine. So give your body what it needs to properly recover. So what could be better than a scientifically proven recovery beverage made right here in Pennsylvania that also tastes great? That sounds awesome to me. Learn more about how chocolate milk can help you refuel and recover after your next workout by visiting teamchocolatemilk.com. The other sponsor we want to tell you about, uh, Wheelhouse Cards, a local, you know, family-owned, real active, uh, really our go-to sports card gift and apparel shop in the Delaware Valley. Uh, their motto is cards and community because of love of sports unites us all. For the most part, that is true. Sometimes, except you know, for Derek and I, there's no love between no, us. There's no love, but I mean, some, <laughs> sometimes that can you know be we can grieve together. Sometimes that can be love too. It comes in many forms. They carry all of your favorite brands like Tops, Chrome, Baseball, and Mosaic Football, as well as T-shirts, hats, hoodies from brands like Mitchell and Ness, Forty Seven Brand, Junk Food Starter, and Shibe Vintage Sports. Looking to grade your sports card collection? Wheelhouse offers PSA grading submissions. They also host tons of different family-friendly events and birthday parties every month. Stop into either of their stores in Wayne or Westchester. Open seven days per week at 11 a.m. Use code PHLY and get $10 off any purchase of $25 or more in-store. Also, be sure to give them a follow on Instagram at Wheelhouse Cards. So, <laughs> I don't know why my brain just went here. Ash in the chat brought up Yoohoo. First of all, I want you to look at the label. Yoohoo is chocolate drink. Right. It is not milk. But I will say this, if anyone has seen, or if you haven't seen, you should watch it, the show Atlanta. Okay. There is actually a fake rapper, I believe his name is Clark County on the show, that does a jingle for YooHoo, like a fictional jingle through the show. Look up this song. It's better. This fake song is better than any real marketing pitch that's ever been done. It sticks in my head every time I think of it. So that's what I'm thinking of when I <laughs> okay. see we also had another comment from Chill Guy who said that they're going to bathe in chocolate milk after my ad read. That's a little disturbing, and I don't know that that's the scientifically proven way to improve your calcium. I don't know how calcium. much you're absorbing there. Yeah. However, if you're helping out our friends at Team Chocolate Milk, I'm not sure that I can steer you the other way. So, and anyway, that's my. You should maybe take their advice. So this is the chocolate. chocolate milk this is, is the end of our chocolate milk segment. I'll you know, put it that maybe way. Maybe we should reach out to them see if bathing in chocolate milk has any kind of <laughs> real benefits. But I'm, I'm guessing it probably doesn't. Okay, so while we're on the Tobias thing, I don't want to go in too deep into trade rumor territory or trade discussion territory. Uh, Kendrick Perkins today brought up. So Clay Thompson's a very hot topic sure. in Golden State right now because he's struggling. The I mean, Warriors are struggling. Like five, I think. A bunch. And more than like three for that group that their contention window is now or never is a big deal. And Clay has really struggled to start the season. And Kendrick Perkins threw out the possibility of maybe the Sixers get involved in Clay Thompson talks and you swap clay and tobias harris now the good thing about that type of swap derek they're both on expiring contracts yeah. so if it was a one-for-one one sort of thing would make a lot of sense i don't think tobias harris makes much sense in golden state with the way they play and the way he tends to like to play but that's a different discussion but it got me thinking to the point of you know it's weird but i almost think it's better to just keep tobias harris right now with the way he looks 
the way he has fit in and bought into what Nick Nurse is selling, than to chase a guy like that who, look, historically, if you would have told me you could get prime Clay Thompson in here next to Joel Embiid, well, I'm signing on the dotted line. Unfortunately, prime Clay Thompson left a long time ago, and what you are left with is a shell of that guy. Yeah, those two injuries that Clay had, the knee and the Achilles, were just devastating. They were devastating for Clay. They were devastating for NBA fans. Like yeah. that, uh, not that anyone's really you know losing sleep over the ending of a dynasty, but that team was so much fun to watch. Clay was so much fun to watch. Cl- prime Clay was one of my favorite players in the league. And he would be such a tremendous fit right now. Like when you start talking about someone who can play off ball alongside Maxi, who has the height to complement Maxi, who can defend multiple positions, the quick trigger three, off ball movement, all Blaze of that. Blaze thinks that Clay needs some more chocolate milk to get better. <laughs> <laughs> all of that would be fantastic. Of course, all of that you wouldn't be getting for Tobias Harris's expiring contract. Clay looks pretty washed right now. I don't want to say that. I hate saying that. I came into this season. We're talking about you know before the season the potential teams that could surprise. I was I wanted to pick Golden State, but I didn't necessarily believe in Clay. And looking at the early results, and by early results, I mean like we're talking over ten percent of the season. Yeah, uh, we're talking cl- close to fifteen percent of the season, a significant chunk. He is playing bad basketball, and he just doesn't look like he ever really truly came back from those two devastating injuries. And if you're talking about like this year. Maybe you take a chance just to, even then I'm not even sure I would, but just to see if he could recapture something and just see if maybe playing alongside Embiid could get him back. But I don't want to even think about giving Clay a 34-year-old Clay his next contract. That's terrifying. There's a reason they haven't extended him. And like, if anyone was going to, it would be the team that he spent his whole career at. Chill guy says, Clay for Tobias, a lot like my parents' divorce, a lot of paperwork for ultimately not much benefit. That's... You might want to talk to a therapist about that one, buddy. But I only bring this up to say that if you had proposed that sort of deal to you and I in, I don't know, August, I probably would have sat there and been like, oh, yeah, for sure. Because at the very least, Clay had a great shooting season last year, right? And that's the thing that I would expect will normalize as the season goes on. Unfortunately... The lack of mobility and the mm-hmm. lack of pop that he has at this point is impacting him everywhere else, certainly defensively, certainly his ability to take guys off the dribble, be to close out if they and everybody closes out hard on Clay still, despite the fact that he's shooting poorly. But I just don't think you can make that move at this point because the one thing you can say about Tobias, guy looks pretty damn great physically. Like he's certainly not in Clay's position. I know Rich made this point the other night, Derek, that Tobias has been basically an iron man knock on wood for them that very tough guy underrated tough player is able to play through scary falls and all kinds of weird injuries nicks ailments and that's a big deal on a team that is led by Joel Embiid when I think we all sort of know at some point it's going to miss a few games here and there at the very least and so you add on that on top of that how well Tobias is playing how well he's shooting from basically every area of the floor the defensive versatility that he's given you so far. I know he's not a perfect defender. Certainly if they were able to get an OG type player who could take top assignments, that would be a big improvement over having Tobias take him. But 
Some wild takes in the chat right now. I mean, I listen, it's Friday night, baby. Everyone's had a few. <laughs> people were watching the in-season tournament, getting a little lubed up, and the takes are flying. So I say all that to say this. Tobias is having a really good start to the season. I know he's had good starts to the season before, but he's not just a throw-in guy with everything he's doing for this team. No. And I, I just, I don't believe in Clay physically. I just, I'm not sure he has much left. Which is a shame. One of my favorite players of this era, for sure. All right, let's move on to Jaden. Uh, I only say let's move on to Jaden because I don't feel like we have enough time left in this segment to get into the D house block. <laughs> so we'll save that for the next. There's segment. also been a lot of Jaden chat in the there chat. Has. So, like you mentioned, he came out sort of like the last game where he came out and he had two quick turnovers, but then did some good things. Wasn't perfect at all, especially early on. Uh, you know, he had a couple of hesitation on his threes. Uh, he had a, a bad miss on three, a couple turnovers, but he makes just so many defensive plays and so many cuts. And he's, he, did he look comfortable? No, not necessarily, but he looked more comfortable than he did his previous game. And I think he's certainly at this point, got to keep in the rotation, see if he can continue to build on that because we did like what we saw in the preseason. He came out in his first couple of appearances and looked like maybe the moment was a little bit bigger or the speed of the game was a little bit faster, but he looks like he's settling down. And as he settles down, then what he does bring you know, just becomes more obvious. And he looked good for stretches. Not yeah. the whole game, but stretches. And I will say this. He didn't make a three tonight, but he stepped into him confidently, missed a couple, and was able to use, I think Atlanta treated him like a fairly credible shooter, right? They closed out on him hard a few times. And I thought he made good decisions of how to attack that. There was at least one drive that I can remember. He was closed on in the corner, got his defender on his hip, Went to his left hand, got to the basket, yeah. ends up three for seven from the field. Not great, but not awful either. And look, I just believe when you have a kid who plays as hard as he does, good things are going to happen. Like yeah. they're, you're going to have to live with some growing pains, some silly fouls, some things that are going to make Nick Nurse a little bit crazy. But I give him credit for continuing to roll with him tonight, letting him. I mean, he played quite a bit in the second half, he got up to over 22 minutes. And that, you know, that fourth quarter run by the end was not super meaningful. I know the the point margins and all that mattered. <laughs> I was but, just going to make that joke. <laughs> yeah, listen, it, it did matter, but it didn't. And he could have pulled him around the you know six-minute mark like he normally would. But instead of going back to Robert Covington, we saw a heck of a lot of Jaden Springer. And that's the only way he's going to get better. It's the only way he's going to have those opportunities like I was talking about in the first segment to cut along the baseline and, mm -hmm. and read the double teams on Joel and, and figure out the spacing and, you know, when to drive, when to swing the ball, to do all those things that he has to do to be part of what is a pretty unique offense in today's NBA. There are not a lot of guys there. I would say very, very few guys who come to the league with any understanding of what it's like to play off of a real deal yep. post player. I, I, I don't I think that's a really underrated thing that has that's, to happen that's for true for even veterans in this league. That's like, what I you mean. Just don't, like there's nobody that plays like that. So yeah. like for these guys who come in who are 21, 20, 19 years old, this is a giant shock to the system of how they played. Like number one, they've been the man, the guy on every team they played for. But number two, even when they've been on these AAU teams that they play with a lot of other talented guys, most of them are just guards and wings and maybe you play with like a 6'9 6'10 big guy but anymore those players are being developed to be 
pick and roll and space the floor type bigs. Not the type of player that Joel Embiid is. So Jaden is going to have to get these minutes and these reps playing in a Joel-centric world in order to make that next step to become a every night 15, 20-minute-a-game rotation player. So the more that can – it doesn't – I don't care about how he looks against the Bostons of the world like we do with Joel. I just want to see him out on the floor making mistakes and seeing the flashes from him because I, you and I both see a rotation player in him, I think, Derek, and it's, it's a matter of time and a matter of the jumper to see if he gets there. You mentioned all of these guys have been the guy on their team at one point, and it made me curious whether Springer has, so I went back and I tried to find out whether he ever averaged 20 points per game. Closest I can find is he averaged 19.9 on the Bobby Mays 15 and under team. <laughs> Did average uh, 19 and 19 point... Uh, where is it? I lost it. I lost it. He had a good season in the G League. 19.7 with the G League. Last year. Um, yeah, no, look, it was what I really like about Jaden is the fact that like he made a turnover there and I think it was the second quarter and then he immediately had that chase down block. Like he made mm-hmm. a mistake and he made up for it and not to pick on him because he only played two minutes in bump knees. But like when, when Marcus Morris makes a mistake, he's not fixing That's a- it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Where are they going with the ball? <laughs> And it's just so nice to have a kid, like you said, who's so bought in defensively, who's never going to leave you wanting for more effort, who does have the athleticism to make those plays, and then who can put it together and cut off the ball, have possessions down the stretch where he, you know, he had two cuts for, I think one was a foul, the next one was a basket, in like the span of two minutes. And just to be able to find those lanes, make that imprint defensively, make mistakes, yes, but then come back and make a play to make up for it. It, I, I just, I don't know how he could come out and not be in the rotation. And again, you're expecting to get Batum back here in the next one on Sunday. Uh, I'm not sure if that's still the case. Now, it, you probably can't tell from the fact that we're both in the studio. Neither Kyle nor I were down in Atlanta for this game, so we didn't have a chance to talk to him. But we haven't learned how to teleport quite we have yet. Not. We're working on we it. Not. I don't know if it's in the PHLY budget, though. But I hope that even after Batum come back, comes back and even after Ubre comes back, whenever that is, I think Jaden still needs to be a part of this team. He's just your best perimeter defender, and he's getting better every game. A hundred percent. Stock up on Jaden Springer. Oh, yeah. Oh, we should have done a Friday night stock report. Derek <laughs> would have murdered me live on camera. <laughs> but if you want to see Jaden Springer potentially play and certainly see Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey play, the best place to buy tickets without it being stressful is the Game Time app, which is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets, start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. I know the Thanksgiving holidays coming up, so there'll be some people in town maybe that are not here normally that have moved away from Philadelphia or visiting family, might want to get down to a game, might want to see the Eagles in the coming weeks, maybe around Christmas. I don't, Look, Black Friday's coming up. I know there'll probably be some sales everywhere else. And the best place to get your tickets is game time. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email in order to find those tickets. So snag the tickets, no stress, with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off. 
Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Daniel freaking house. (laughs) I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was watching the Sixers all last season thinking, man, if only they had some D house in there, like that, that's never how I have looked at him and, and the he pecking was, order. He was bad to start the year, yeah, too. Like, he did not he have a good borderline start. borderline unplayable at the beginning of the year. However, he does fit into that mold I was talking about early in the podcast. He's a good athlete. Yep. In theory, he can shoot. In theory, he can switch. And I think the most important thing, the, look, shot, the shot's going to come and go. He's a bench role player for a reason. I'm not expecting him to come in and be a impactful offensive guy every single night or even on a majority of nights. He played really fucking hard every minute yep. he was on the floor tonight. Makes a couple of really good transition defense plays where he's coming out of nowhere. And on a night where, frankly, the transition defense was not good for basically the entire first half and a lot Especially of this game. that second quarter was real bad. That second quarter was absolutely miserable. For him to come in off the bench and immediately help improve that and give them you know, kind of a spark in multiple ways, that's his job. Like That's what those guys are tasked with on the bench. They don't know who's going to play every night, certainly when they're all healthy. Kelly's back. Nico's back and they're going to have to fight for all these minutes. So it's important for there to be this culture of competition, especially on the defensive end of the floor, where frankly, that's where Nick Nurse's reputation has been cemented over the last, you know, four or five years or so. So it's great to see that from him because that's what's going to keep him in the rotation and make him a consistently helpful player, regardless of what's happening with the shot and, I certainly, you and I both, I think, reacted to the D house assist to Tobias yeah, late or yeah. midway through the fourth quarter, not banking on that either. But he can just, he can do enough things slightly well enough in order to be a good rotation player for this. He team. should be. Yeah. Yeah. And look, that start of the fourth, what were they, what, what was their lead coming into the fourth quarter? It was like a, a six or seven point lead. I have it in my notes. It, it was not. I think you it was know, like 84, 77, yeah, it was like not. It was, the game was not put away. And Nurse, and I'd love to know why. And again, Kyle and I, judging by the fact that we're in, in the studio, not in Atlanta, didn't get a chance to listen to the post-game presser. I'm curious why Nick played both Maxi and Embiid the entire third quarter. That's usually not what happened. In fact, I checked coming into it. There were only 15 possessions of 15 non-garbage time possessions where neither... Embiid or Maxi were on the floor, and they started the fourth quarter, a crucial fourth quarter, with neither of them on the floor. Played a solid, I want to say four or five minutes with neither of them, too. Uh, I know Maxi came in a little bit before Embiid, but there, there was a good stretch there. You needed something inexplicable to happen, and you had, I think I think that's when House made his three. He made a good layup. Uh, he had a transition block, and they had that nice kick out to Tobias, and you went like, Whoa, what in the, where the heck did this come from? But boy, did it come at the exact right time because you were just trying to find a way, a way to generate some kind of points to let yourself buy you some time to get your stars back. And they extended that lead. It was a 10 or 12 point lead by the time Maxi came back in. I actually wrote exactly down on my notes. It was 94 87 to open the fourth quarter. By the time Maxi came back in, it was 107.95. So they turned – that was a plus-five swing Wild. from a group that basically only had Tobias Harris and, again, and Melton. 
Do I ever want like uh, what was that lineup to start that quarter? Like Melton, Springer, Springer House, Melton. Tobias, and Reed. Was that it? That's the exact lineup. Do I ever want to see that again? Probably in, not. In, in like real meaningful minutes. No. But the fact that you got away with it was huge. Uh, the fact that you know House contributed the way he did. Really, like, and that's one thing I think this team has. Where do you know every day that exactly like which bench players are going to be big contributors? No, I'd say most teams are like that. Maybe except for someone like Boston, where you know everyone knows their role. But most teams, your bench players are bench players for a reason. One of those is inconsistency. You can't always leave your imprint on the game. But they have enough players where somebody is going to get hot throughout the course of the game. Maybe not hot in terms of like scoring a lot of points. House was the only one who really scored a decent amount of points off the bench, but they're going to, a couple players off the bench are going to leave an imprint on the game. And House was huge. He was absolutely huge in this one. Yeah. And I will say, we love the D House experience on a night to night basis, regardless. Because even when he doesn't yes. play, he's in the locker room and is one of the funniest. I, I think he's probably undisputed funniest guy on that team. And not even in, intentionally a lot of the time. He just has really strong takes on everything. Yes. And he's got a great accent and he's really personable. So I And just, he's very animated in everything oh, he does. Yes. Everything is either the best thing or the yeah. worst thing. And I certainly sympathize. I kind of lean that way myself. So it's nice to see him play this way. But so I was watching, he was talking to Kate Scott on the broadcast on so a walk off after the game. And said something like, look, tonight it's going to be me. The next game, it could be Pat Beverly. The yep. next game, it could be Nico Batum. And that their role as these guys coming in as depth players off the bench, or even the starters, if, if it's a Batum-type player, their job is that they don't know what night is going to be their night, but to keep their compete level high and to be prepared for this moment at all times. And D-House is a guy that preaches that message pretty much constantly that he doesn't know when he's going to play. He's out of rotation for a long time last year. He had a moment in the playoffs last year, Derek, like had a, a good game in one of those first couple games against the Celtics with Embiid hurt in the first game. It's a guy who can have a moment when called upon mm -hmm. and you just are going to have, have to be quick with the hook when he doesn't have a good night, but I hope he's having, he loves him some Dr. Pepper. I hope he's having a giant post game Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper yep. after tonight's game. Absolutely. And just all around, like I thought Cove had a pretty big first half. Yeah. Uh, real good, like in terms of just rebounding, made both of his threes, bunch of steals. Uh, I, I really, I thought, gave them good energy. Uh, and then, you know, obviously we talked about Springer and House. Melton is back to making threes, uh, missed a couple layups. You're never going to get the whole Melton experience is never going to be positive. Uh, but the fact that he's back to making threes is huge. Just a good role player game when you add on the fact that Embiid was dominant and you had cutters cutting off of him and Harris dropped 30 on 20 shots. It was or 29 on 20 shots. It was a, a good all around performance again against a team. That's not like a, a standout defensive squad, but that can get hot and that can be tough to beat on their home floor. Well, actually I think they're, they're pretty bad uh, at home so far this year, but Talking about the Hawks. Yeah. I mean um, that that's like the anti home court advantage yeah, yeah, there. Cause I, Maybe Honestly, just even just watching on TV, you can tell. Trey Young, and now, listen, Melton fell down, and it looked like he got pushed a little bit when this happened. But there was a play where Trey Young had him on an island, crossed him over, and it, it probably looked worse than it actually was. But if it had happened in Philadelphia, 
a guy getting crossed over and sent to the fucking moon and then the guy hits a three, the building would have collapsed if it happened at the Wells Fargo center. And all I heard was like the PA system. And it's like, (laughs) what are we doing here? Like, I understand it was kind of a fake highlight in many ways, but we celebrate fake highlights all the time. Like James Harden, one of his career highlights is Wesley Johnson, like stepping on his foot and falling down and James staring him down and then hitting the three. We celebrate these moments all the time. Atlanta barely even noticed that it happened. So, yeah, I'm not sold on that being a uh, or any kind of home court advantage. I remember would say when, that. Remember when James first got here and, like, he had a couple in a row where, like, he, like, like tried to, like, leave the hand up there to celebrate and, like, two in a row were air balls and he was like, I got to stop doing that. Yeah. Uh, but that is not, in fact, I think they're playing right now, going for loss number six in a row. Interesting Listen, to see how that cooking one, up uh, another classic. It's a three. <laughs> it's a three point game as far as I can see right now in the first quarter. James <laughs> okay. losing to his former team, the Houston Rockets, would be that'd be something. They've been actually they, they're real good. They've I was won like say, six in a row. I was talking some shit about the Rockets earlier in the year, including saying they might be bad enough to reconsider their stance on Harden. They have gotten their act together, and I'm I'm blanking on who said this on Twitter that I deserve to credit them for. That Dylan Brooks has actually proven to be sort of a leader there and that maybe we should reevaluate the end of his tenure in Memphis. That, yes, he might have stuck it stuck there too long and been too much of a focal point there, but that he's been a real energy, rah-rah, yep. glue guy in Houston on a team that, frankly, has done nothing but fucking lose since James Harden left. So I will slightly apologize to Dylan Brooks for – any animosity I sent his way this offseason well, as look, he was getting he was a, slandered on his way out the door? He was a clown last year, and sometimes you point and laugh at clowns, but he's playing good basketball now. They've won six in a row, including the last one against the Nuggets, and they're up against the James Harden, who, is, who, who wanted to... Everyone. No, they are down right now. So oh, oh I, said, I said up against. Oh, like up, playing. Uh, yeah. Different up against. James Harden, who's working himself back into... Did you see where he said James Harden shape and basketball shape? Like they were two different things, <laughs> which I agree with him. They are two different things. Most like James where is Harden he at shape, on the ramp, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that he said that he's working himself back into James Harden shape, uh, we will see. And then he also said like, oh man, you know, I, I didn't have a preseason. So it's going to take some, well, you didn't have a preseason who like, why, why did that happen? Whose decision was that to not have it? And anyway, not our problem anymore. Very happy about that. Yeah. Uh, the thing that Dylan Brooks was really done wrong with, by the way, while we're on the Memphis Houston thing was that I think it was Shams. If it's not somebody, correct me who leaked the report that was like under no circumstances. <laughs> will Dylan Brooks be brought back? That was really ridiculous at the time. And even more so in hindsight, like it was probably time for both sides to move on for various reasons, but that made a guy who has been, not a high-level guy, but a pretty good contributor for a very mm-hmm. good team for an extended period now, made him the scapegoat for a lot of problems that were not his yeah. fault. And again, some of the trash talking, some of the you know poking. It's classic like just it, taking it a little too a little far too for far, a role but player. Like you like that kind of like if he could have ninety percent of mentality, you'd love him. It's just the extra ten percent can be a little little much to deal with. But we are not a. Uh, you're not that podcast. Um, probably could be a good description for. No, I'm just. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, going back to uh, today's game. Anything else really stand out here for you? Well, I wanted to talk about Tyrese a bit. I don't know if we want to save that for final segment, since I'm sure we're light on 
topics on a Friday night at almost 11 o'clock, but I'll Let's say this uh, the, uh, the, to Tyrese. He's driven me a little nuts with the no scoring first quarters this year, mm-hmm. but the deeper we get into the season and the more we see him kind of figure out how to pace himself and set other people up and still get his shots up and have an impact on the game as a scorer, the more I'm just going to have to accept that he's really embracing this whole, I am a point guard and I need to think and play like a point guard thing. I, I don't really love it because I think his, his gifts are scoring and I was happy to see him take some early clock threes, even some yep. like pretty tightly contested threes tonight. But since Tyrese has forgotten more about basketball than I'll never know as a high level player, at some point, I'm probably just going to have to start trusting that he's going to have a scoreless or low scoring first quarter and he's going to eventually get to his stuff. No, it definitely it feels like when he's out there to start the game with Joe, that's when there's a little bit indecision. Doesn't really know his role. When he starts that second quarter and the fourth quarter without Joel, then he really turns it on to attack mode. If you had to guess, what do you think Tyrese Maxey is averaging in the first quarter this year? Six points. Three point one. Wow. I I thought six was high, but I was I don't want to shortchange him and make it sound bad. On thirty-four point three percent shooting. Really so that part's even crazier. I guess the volume is so low that it's not it's hard to read into. Right. It is wild though that he goes from I'm not even looking to shoot and score for most of the a good chunk of the first half. I know that he comes out and he plays the entire second quarter. So maybe that's a bit misleading, but that's crazy. Yep. Just over three points. 5.6 in the third, 9.6 in the second. And I don't have the fourth quarter up yet. Hold on. I'm sorry. This is a really bad. No, that's fine. And so blaze actually points out 8.7 in the first. So he averages about 18 points in the second and the fourth quarter. And then about eight points in the first and the third. So that at least makes sense because he does have that, bench captain lineup and he that plays he's, the entire 12 of, yes yeah. so that that part makes sense it's more just the complete unwilling or not unwillingness is the wrong word but the way that he almost phases himself out of the offense because he has control of it still he just chooses to all right i'm gonna hit joe i'm gonna throw pocket passes i'm gonna find this guy yep. i'm gonna do this and it's not a uh it's not the tyrese show that's for damn sure nope I agree. It, it seems like that is where the I'm trying to balance being a floor general and a scorer comes into play. And he leans very heavily uh, in that first quarter towards trying to be a setup man. I agree with you. I would love to see him just a little more aggressive to start these games. Yeah. just a, And there's, Nick Nurse is certainly pushing for that. There's Look, he's a 23-year-old point guard trying to lead a championship-level squad or at least a team that built, thinks of themselves as a championship-level squad. Uh, I think it's going to take some time for the mental approach to crystallize. Yeah, it, it's just a matter of it being natural and not like cuz some nights the defense is going to concede to him as the scorer to open games and he's got to recognize that and say, "All right, I'm going to score 10 to 15 points in the first quarter if they're selling out to stop Joe." That that doesn't mean that he has seen that type of coverage yet, but when it comes it's got. It can't just be every night is the, okay, first quarter, I'm just not scoring and I'm setting up everybody else. There are definitely nights he's got to recognize my time is right now, not in a quarter, 
not two quarters, not three yep. quarters from now. All right, we'll close this one out. Before that, a quick word from FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. With it being football and tailgating season, means that overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, and bags, everything you need for a game FOCO has. And FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY for 10% off. So, quick in-season tournament aside... I am looking at some of the margins on these other games. Okay. <laughs> You're really not. I, I, I mean, I have the box score up in front sure, of me. Sure, sure. And I can see the scoreboard for the league. I'm looking at these margins, and it's telling me that I don't think the Sixers winning by 10 points in these games is going to be enough to, if they don't win the group outright with two Indiana losses and another win against Cleveland for the Sixers. I don't think they're making it through because like Milwaukee won tonight by 31, the Knicks won by 21. And I don't know what the standings are for all these other divisions. I've only paid attention to the Sixers part of it, but I would say that with other teams running it up and running the margins up, it's unlikely that the Sixers squeaking out a few 10 point wins is going to going to do it, especially since they already lost by what they lose by to Indiana, like six or eight. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just Vegas. Kyle is, is really trying to get <laughs> Derek and I on a, another flight for that. Hopefully both of us make this time oh. since that was a, uh, a problem going to Colorado. One. Got out there. We got out there. Everything went fine. It's all good. It's been a big argument about Joel's rebounding in the chat tonight, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it, look, I think that's one thing that we gave him some credit for to start the season. He looked like he was more committed on that end. It hasn't been great the last couple games. Um, I do think him chasing blocks is going to impact that, but I also just think his overall um, energy level on defense has been down the last couple of games as well. Uh, I, you would like to see more, but you also, you're going to need a very team effort if he is going to try to be you know, that guy chasing blocks like Nick, Nick wants him to be. Yeah, and I will also say this was an uncharacteristically good rebounding game for Tobias, who I think you and I have probably been driven nuts by a few times with his lack of rebounding. I thought he went up and really attacked the ball on the defensive glass. Actually, as I'm looking at the box score right now, this was a double-double for Tobias. Came away with 10 rebounds, so my eye test matched with what the actual numbers say. Uh, So I think that probably took away a few of the easy rebounds that Joel would get. But yeah, I mean, I would say in general, I side with the, I want Joel to be a better rebounder yeah. group because there's no real reason for him not to be. He has huge, yeah. he's athletic and he's always going to be near the rim. Yeah. And he, look, sometimes he is out of position because he is chasing those blocks again that Nick wants him to, but there are others. Like I think Capella had one where he just, he just, pursued the ball and Joe was not moving and he went right over top of him. There have been a couple like that. He's, he's very up and down his effort and and focus on the glass is just very up and down. Do we have any negatives from the game that we want to hit on? Cause you know, we got to be haters before we get out of here. We do have to be haters. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But to be honest, like every time the Sixers lose and like, 
you mentioned the other day, Joe's got to be better. Like people will lose their minds when we just say Joe's got to be better or you need a better I mean, reference Joe, Joe apparently was upset with me individually. That's, That's a fine. new one for me. It's fine. <sighs> Outside of Maxie's aggressiveness, there really wasn't. A, 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 okay. Nick Nurse, please don't go back to Marcus Morris. It only ended up being two minutes. I'm not going to give you a get out of jail free card on that though. Cause it was only two minutes because he bumped knees. Don't go back to Marcus Morris. So I will get on. Patrick Beverly didn't have a great night either. He ended up a plus 16 still, Pat Bev, by the way. Really amazing when you end up <laughs> on the right lineups. And look, I, I actually, like, we, we killed Pat Bev in the previous game, but, like, I have actually appreciated what he's given you defensively more than I thought I would. Um, he's had a couple of tough offensive games here in a row, though. But really, it's Nick Nurse. Just don't go back to Marcus Morris. I don't know. I'm surprised this is a thing. I think with Jaden getting a chance in the rotation now and Nick seeing now, look, every team is different. The matchups will be slightly different, but I I just don't see any scenario where you should play Marcus Morris instead of Jaden Springer, even no. though positionally they're very different guys and different players. This is not a league anymore that you play and very few exceptions like Minnesota goes double big, but it's not a league anymore where you have like a post-up big man and then a true power forward, like a guy who just their job is to just do tough, nasty work on the offensive glass, on the interior. There are no real Tyrone Hills anymore. That no. that archetype died Thank a long goodness. time ago. I didn't like watching Tyrone Hill in the early 2000s. I definitely yeah. don't want to watch him now. This is a garden wing league and... Morris is just shy. Like I, again, we said it the other day, I hate that it's come to that point. I would have loved the rejuvenation story, but that's not in the cards. Jaden is just a, a better guy for now, a better guy for the future. Yeah. Spread it out, play a bunch of guards. You put a bunch of semi capable half ball handlers out there. Maybe one of them will eventually learn how to really dribble. And we just bide time until the Sixers eventually get an actual creator to run those units that please Daryl, I'm still begging you go get a ball. <laughs> the other thing I thought, you know, we mentioned this in the previous podcast, but Tobias Harris, uh, when he's on, on the floor without one of either Embiid or Maxi, it's almost always been tied to the Maxi and bench lineups. He did spend about, I think two minutes on the Embiid without Maxi lineups there in the first half. I like seeing a little more of that. I would like to see even more, uh, Outside of that, I think the only real criticism I would have is, for, for again, going back to Nick, leaving them in a spot where they had neither Embiid nor Maxi on the floor to start the fourth. It ended up working out. I still don't necessarily like that decision. I don't like how those rotations were structured. I would like to see that avoided as well. Yeah, so I, I believe, we can't say this with certainty, but the expectation earlier this week was that Batum would be back for that Sunday game against Brooklyn. And the hope would be after that, that Batum is just here the rest of the way. No personal issues. You settle all whatever's going on with him. Looks like Nick wants to start him. And he's going to have a pretty sizable role here compared to what he did in Los Angeles. And I think Batum specifically, certainly Kelly brings a, a different element, right? When he comes back, the shot creation ability is real. And I'm not expecting him to shoot the way he did to open the season, but he's certainly helpful. But Batum is such a connector in, in all the things that he can do. Can handle a little bit. 
You can bring him off movement. You can have him be a standstill guy. He's a good passer if you put him around the elbows. I think they'll be able to run some horn sets with him that can do some interesting things with him out of that kind of look. So I'm really excited when Batum is just like here and in the rotation and playing all the time because he might not have crazy box score lines, but I think I trust him a lot more than the other options they have in the rotation there. It also moves Rocco maybe into a role more suitable for him, like a 15-minute-a-game type of role rather than asking him to start. And Rob has played well. Only, like he, I think he's, he's, And he still only played 20. Like yeah. He didn't overextend him. Yeah, I, I think Nick has done a good job of managing Rocco so far. But I worry the more that he has to play, the more you might get a you know Rob stinker night that we saw back during his first time here. So... I'm excited for them to get Batum back and maybe see what it looks like with him in the regular rotation. Yeah. And I think, I think Cubs in a better spot now, not necessarily Cubs, but like the pieces around him, like back then, you know, you didn't have very many offensive threats. You had Embiid. You certainly had, um, you know, JJ. And a much worse Embiid to be Much clear. worse Embiid. You had JJ and, you know, the point guard upgrade in terms of scoring can't be overstated uh i think he's in a spot where i think fans can probably appreciate what he brings a little more because you're not looking at him and saying well why can't you dribble why can't you be a consistent scorer why can't you do this so i think he will be a consistent like i i think they i'm more confident he will be a consistent part of the rotation now than maybe when they made the trade yeah it seems like he has maybe a little more left than i i was sure he had uh so i think you know once batum comes back certainly once Ubre comes back i'm excited to see how all of these pieces fit uh, because I do think that um, I'm just I'm really I'm really impressed by the way Joe played today. Like the way he controlled the game, I want to see more of it. And having connective pieces like Batum is really going to help. Yeah, so probably a good place to leave it for the night, right? I don't want to take away the the argument for him for all our uh, chatters right now because it might I be, see it might be good to take that away. Yeah, it might be. Uh, I do want to shout out RJ's and Alex and David, Neil, Blaze, Money Mar, Two Minute Warning. Alex, again, Ronald, Spencer, Lucas, Neil, two-minute warning. There's RC, Randy earlier, David earlier. Thank you guys, as always, for being with us, especially on a Friday night when you could be – I see some of you talking about whether you have a wife or not. You could be spending time with your families. You're here with us. Very touched by that. If you are still here and have not hit that subscribe button to the channel – please do so immediately. If you hit the bell icon, you can get notifications every time that Derek and I and all the other wonderful people here go live. And if you hit that thumbs up button on the way out, gives us a nice boost in the YouTube algorithm and helps us all out quite a bit. So doing that right now. Until, <laughs> until next time, Derek and all you wonderful people in the chat, I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.